Anyone here tonight for the first time? Okay, welcome. Thank you. How'd you find out? Over there at Kalachanji's restaurant, or how'd you find it? Yeah, I was at the restaurant. Yeah, okay, cool. Loosen this up a little bit and push it back. Loosen this one up. It's tipping over on me. So, oh, my teeth. Twelve thousand dollars worth of teeth. I have three students. They were in, a, in my school, and now three became dentists. So my teeth are free. <laughs> One benefit of being a teacher, your, your former students, if they make it, make it in life, you don't have to worry about your teeth anymore. So today I was reading in the sixth chapter of the Gita. Are you familiar with the Gita? Have you seen Bhagavad Gita? Familiar with Hare Krishna movement at all, or just familiar with Kalachanji? Like 1%. 1%. Okay, we'll start with the 1%. I saw that thing, you know, 1%. People that are like, the one percenters or something. Everybody else pays taxes except for the one percent or something. I read in the headline, so you're fortunate. So Krishna consciousness movement started in America in 1965 when the founder came to America. Interesting enough, he came on a freight boat. A lot of people have misconceptions of how the Hare Krishna movement started, so I'll just give you a little brief synopsis. Came over on a freight freighter after translating some of the books of the Vedas into English and landed in Boston, come, uh, what do they call it, Boston, Boston Harbor. And then the ship went down to New York and then he went up to Butler, Pennsylvania for what's where a sponsor came from. In those days you had to have a sponsor up here from India. And stayed a few months or something and then went down to New York City, that, the Big Apple, right? That's where we'll start. Ended up on Lower East Side in the Bowery. Um, I, don't, I don't know if the etiquette is right, but he was going from house to house. He didn't have a place to live. He was just living with different people. So kind of a couch surfer type thing, you know, where he was just like didn't know where he'd be. Um, he was staying at one person's house. Somebody gave him a tape recorder so that he could record his um, translations. And then a crazy person on drugs, chased him out of the house, and he ended up on the street, didn't know where to go, and finally somebody came and took him, and in the summer of 66, a group of people rented him. He had $200 saved up, because he was selling his books at the bookstores. He had $200 saved up, and he rented a storefront for $125, and a little apartment for $75. Imagine what that thing would cost today. <laughs> on 2nd Avenue in New York, probably like 10 times that much, 100 times that much. And uh, he said I didn't know where the next month's rent was coming from. And so they started giving classes on Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita is the song of God. It was spoken by Krishna some 5,000 years ago. And he spoke it to his friend and devotee. His name is Arjuna. And he discusses the philosophy of yoga, the whole process of understanding our connection um, yoga means connection, connecting to. So um, our type of yoga is called bhakti yoga, which means devotional yoga, connecting the heart to the Supreme Lord. There are many types of yoga, and they're all uh, like rungs on the ladder. And when you get to the final rung, it's bhakti where the heart is completely absorbed 
in loving God. And so <clears throat> this Bhagavad Gita describes, uh, it's kind of like the manual for the living in this world to try to understand what this place is about. There's basically five topics in this book. One, the first topic is the Supreme Lord. The second topic is the individual souls. Uh, the third topic is material nature or material energy. Then the time factor and then karma, the reactions that we get for our actions in this world. And so among those five, all are, all are eternal. Even though this material world seems to be temporary, it's like seasonal. It comes and goes, abhyakta, abhyakta, sanatana. Um, what is it? Abhyakta, abhyakta, sanatana. It, it, from the unman, abhyakta means unmanifested, to abhyakta, manifested again to abhyakta, but it goes in cycles. The mature energy is always in flux like that. And so the only thing that's temporary is our karma, our reaction, our activities in this world. And that's the thing that we have in this human form of life, is we have a chance to um, end that cycle of repeated birth and death within this mature world. And so that is done through the process of connecting ourselves to the Supreme. And according to the ancient Vedic literature, the best way to do that is through devoting one's body, mind, words, and activity, body, mind, body, meaning activities, body, mind, and words to the Supreme Lord. So this book is, it's, it's huge, it's 700 pages, so I can't do all 700 pages in one night. So um, today I was reading in this, uh, in the sixth chapter, which is Dhyana Yoga, the, the medita meditation, the it describes Astanga Yoga. Are you, are you all familiar with the yoga prize? You ever go to yoga classes? You ever go to that kind of thing? So, um, all the Hatha Yoga comes from Astanga Yoga, Pantanjali Yoga system. It comes, it stems from that. And so the point of all yoga systems is to come to the point of controlling the mind, letting the mind. All the Hatha Yoga postures, the pranayama, the breathing exercises, meant to stabilize the mind so that it can focus on the Atma or the soul within. So I thought I would just read um, one verse can, uh, which is concerning the mind. And this is the fifth verse of the sixth chapter of this book. And I'll try to read the Sanskrit. I'm not so good at that, but I'll try. Don't worry, nobody in the room knows that what that means, except for me, because I'm reading it. <laughs> well, I'll get the translation. One must deliver themselves with the help of the mind and not degrade themselves. The mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and the enemy as well. This is the nature of the mind. It can be our friend and it can be our enemy. I think we've all experienced that. The friendly mind telling us to do good things and the enemy mind telling us to do things that we shouldn't do. That's very common. So there's a commentary on this on this verse that was writ, uh, written by our, the founder of our society. How he wrote the commentaries is that there is um, previous teachers from millennia, for hundreds and hundreds of years, are teachers. And he condenses all their comment, their commentaries into the commentary that he makes. So 
So the word Atma, because uh, that, that word Atma was used one, two, three, four, five, six times in the verse. Um, the word Atma denotes body, mind, and soul. It can be one of those three things, depending on, upon different circumstances. In the yoga system, the mind and the, and the conditioned soul are especially important. Since the mind is the central point of yoga practice, Abha here refers here to the mind. <clears throat> the purpose of yoga, the yoga system is to control the mind and to draw it away from attachment to sense objects. It's just like, almost like the opposite of what the mind does now, isn't it? The mind kind of draws us towards sense objects. The mind is, becomes a res, uh, repository of all sensual uh, knowledge acquiring. There's like, there's like ten senses that are grouped about the mind. There's five knowledge acquiring senses and five working senses. So the five knowledge acquiring senses are the ears, the eyes, the nose, the taste, the touch. So these are the knowledge acquiring senses and they're grouped around the mind which is considered to be the sixth sense. And so the information comes in to our mind via the sensual experiences so that with, with, with the uh, uh, process of light, we have sight, uh, sight from the seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, smelling. And so when this information comes in, the mind becomes a repository of all, those, of all that information. And so what happens is that the mind then is drawn towards that according to the particular nature which, which we have. Um, I'll try to do it brief. Um, this material nature is made out of the modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. Sometimes we've all, I'm sure we've all experienced these different modes. Sometimes we're in goodness, sometimes we're very passionate or very active, sometimes we're ignorant, very lazy, or slothy, or I mean, what do you call it, you know, moded, we call it moded out in the Hare Krishna movement when you're really tired and, and distressed. And so, according to the type of body that we have, which is governed by these modes, we're attracted to certain things. Just like someone may be attracted to country western music, someone may be attracted to rock and roll music, someone may be attracted to what do you call it, baroque music, or I saw that I mentioned it the other day, headbanger, headbanger movement. <laughs> you see those things, and um, but what happens is that we think that we're attracted to it, but it's just the modes in nature that our body is made out of that attracts us to that because the body is made out of those modes of nature and the soul is the thing that gives the body life and so what happens is that we're drawn to certain things and the mind and the mind then wants us to taste a particular thing or touch a particular thing or smell something fragrant or hear something pleasant according to the mode of nature which you have just like some people want to live in the country by themselves quietly and some people want to be in downtown Manhattan, where it's all big and busy and noisy. And we think that we're choosing this, but this is just being propelled by the modes of nature which our body is made out of. And so here it's described that the purpose of the yoga system is to control the mind and draw it away from attachment to the sense objects. But what we experience when we're under the illusion that we're this material body, rather than the soul, which is called false ego, false identification, falsely identifying ourselves to be this body, rather than the real ego of understanding ourselves to be eternal parts of God as an, as an individual soul that resides within this body, 
then what happens is that we become attached to the things of this material world. <clears throat> and so the whole process of yoga is to detach, is to detach oneself from the activities of the senses being engaged in the sense object simply for the purpose of material enjoyment rather than the purpose of utilizing it in the, the, the sense object or those things which we perceive in the service of the Lord. A nice, a, a simple analogy is, is that everything in the material world is neutral. It's neither good or bad. Everything is neutral. It's how it's utilized which makes it good or bad. Um, it just, I've always given, I've given, the, the founder of our society said, the, the scalpel in the hands of the expert surgeon cuts out the disease. So that's, the knife is, in that sense, good. If you, we're just going to say we believe in modern surgical, just for the analogy. We're not going to have any holistic approaches, which I'm also into. I'm into all of it, whatever works. That's what I'm into. And, um, and so the, hand, the surgeon, the, the scalpel in the hands of the expert surgeon can remove the, can remove the, the cancer. The, the same surgical knife in the hand of the thief can cut your wallet or cut your throat and take, and take your belongings. So in the hand of the thief, it's, 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 it's used in an improper way. In the hands of the expert surgeon, it's used in a proper way. The knife itself is neutral. So material energy in and of itself is neutral. And the material energy is actually coming from the Supreme Lord. Nice verse in the seventh chapter which describes Daivi Heshaguna Mai Mamamaya Dharantya Daivi. Daivi meaning like divine. The word divine comes from that Sanskrit word. Daivi Heshaguna Mai. It belongs to me. This energy is mine. Mai belongs to me. But it's a material, it's like a prison house wherein we, the individual soul, even though we're eternal, we're full of knowledge and we're full of happiness and now covered by this body which is temporary. So it's a place of confinement. We're, tra we're entrapped in, even though we we're meant to experience eternality and full knowledge and full happiness, in a spiritual form, now we're trapped in a material tabernacle or a material environment and we're forced to undergo birth, growth, birth, death, old age, disease, different things are forced upon us which are foreign to us as an individual spirit soul. And so stress is given here not to, not to, is to draw the, is to, again, the process of yoga is meant to draw the senses, that, uh, the mind is meant to be detached from sense gratification, rather attached to it. It is stressed herein that the mind must be so trained that it can deliver the conditioned soul from the mire of nations. It's everything we, everything we experience, um, somebody trains us to do something. I always give the example, and my mother taught us how to brush our teeth. My mom used to teach. I can remember my mom teaching me how to put on my socks because she was tired of putting them on. Yes. You know, and I can still remember trying to figure out how to. Remember trying to tie your shoes when you were a little kid, and my father and my mother would repeatedly be doing it. And um, so we had a teacher practically in every every aspect of our life. And so the idea that is stressed here and that the mind must be trained. So that we, there's a training process by which we undergo to learn the art of controlling the mind, not letting <coughs> the mind control us. When the mind controls, when, when the mind controls the individual soul by forcing us through this material body to act in a material way, it's creating a particular type of karmic reaction. Interesting enough, we use this word karma in the, in the Western, in the Western sense, practically all over the whole world now. Karma meaning like something that bad happened. Oh, like, like the other day, 
my friend took my car and he went to a parking lot and then when he was backing up he snatched it into the parking wall and put a big dent in my bumper and he was all freaked out and I said, dude, the car is like 11 years old, it's got over 100,000 miles on it, don't worry about one more dent. I put plenty on it. And so, why did I tell the story about the dent? Karma. Yeah, karma, yeah, karma, right? Don't let you, my karma ran over your dogma or something like that. I always liked that bumper stick, right? That was pretty cool. And so the idea is that the karma is, it comes from the Sanskrit word kriyate, which means to do or to act or to, you know. And so each and every one of the actions that we perform have a reaction, and that is the karmic reaction to our activities. And that can drop us down into lower species of life, it can keep us in this human form of life, it can take us to having life, or it can take us to the spiritual world. Our activities will have a particular type of reaction according to the nature of the activity. And so here it's saying that, it is stressed here that the mind must be so trained that it can deliver, deliver the conditioned soul. Right now we're a conditioned soul, we're conditioned by the material energy. Material energy is, is literally conditioning, it's making us act in particular ways, contrary to the nature of the soul. It's just like when someone becomes covered, say by an intoxicant or something like that, or the brain doesn't quite work, they act in ways which are contrary to their nature. And so in the same way, now we're in this material body, we're, we're literally intoxicated by this body. And we think, we're, it's like when you're intoxicated, you may act in so many different ways. You may bark like a dog or whatever, because you're intoxicated. In the same way, when we're in this body, even though we're an eternal spirit soul, we think, I'm American, I'm Indian, I'm Lithuanian, I don't know anybody else was here. I'm from Latin America, I'm from this place, I'm from that place. But actually we have nothing to do with those places. We're an eternal spirit soul that's meant to be eternally residing in the spiritual world. Now we're just foreigners in this foreign place, residing in material bodies, again, that are temporary when we're eternal. We're, we don't even know what's going on around us, practically speaking. We, our, limit, our knowledge is so limited. And even that knowledge we gain turns out to be wrong so many times. At first I think it's like this, then later on I think it's like that. I had that experience when I was in the eighth grade. They said the sun was like this. Twenty years later I was in an airplane. I said, no, all that was wrong. Now it's like this. I just found out the other day when I told that to somebody that they said, yeah, they went, they thought the Mars was like this, and now they just did some more experiments. They think all that, all, all that we used to think Mars was is not right. Now that's, Now we know it's like this. But 20 years from now, who knows what they're going to think about it, because with our imperfect senses, we make imperfect instruments. Uh, our senses are imperfect. We can't, you know, we can hear a little bit what's going on in the kitchen, and we have an idea that they're cooking dinner, but we don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know what's going on in that room. We don't know what's going on outside. Our seeing, our hearing, our tasting, our touching, our smelling are all limited to a particular environment. So it's not perfect. So with those imperfect senses, we make perf imperfect instruments and they give us imperfect information. But if we want perfect information, then we have to go to something that has knowledge of that which is beyond our ability to understand. The example given in the scripture is that if you want to know who your father is, you only have one source of information, you have to go to your mother. Of course, now they have DNA. I guess you could go running around the whole planet to all seven billion people. I guess half of them are men and half of them are women. 
So you'd have to grow to like 3.5 billion. Now you and my father, you and my father, you and my father, you and my father. Give him a DNA test. And still it's not 100% correct. But your mother hopefully can tell you this is your father. Nowadays you have to say hopefully. Previously we didn't have to say that. Nowadays we have to say hopefully. And so the Vedas is compared to the mother. Because the Vedas have knowledge of that which is beyond our ability to understand with our own central perception. And so... The idea here in this is being stressed that, that we must be trained so that we can deliver the conditioned soul from the mire of, of nations. The, the nations being the ignorance of misidentifying ourselves to be something that we're not. If we misidentify ourselves to be this material body, and we are, some, we are spirit soul, and the spirit soul is what's activating this body, then that, what, then that spirit soul must also be active. Because if, if, it's, if, the, if that which is embodying is and by it being there makes the body active then the soul must also be active because the energy which is this material body see that I always give the example of the sun the sunshine has heat and light the sun must also have heat and light because the energy of the sun is the sunshine so the sun must also contain heat and light whatever is present in the energy must also be contained in the energetic source and so because I'm active in this material body, and this material body is just material energy, it's just earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, false identification. And so if that is active, that which the active principle, that which is making me active must also have action. So that active nature of the soul is to serve the Supreme Lord. And so we now have to remove ourselves from the nations or the ignorance of this material identification of whom we are. We misidentify ourselves in so many different ways. I can remember back in the 60s when we were all hanging out, you know, we were all people, please come on, come on in. I can remember, I, 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 remember I, I don't remember the exact date, but I do remember hanging out with all my hippie friends, kind of hippie friends, we weren't quite hippie hippies, but we, I, I didn't really know what a hippie really was, we were just all kind of emerged together. And thinking that all these guys in three-piece suits and winged wing what do you call it? Wing-tip shoes, and you know, greased back hair and all their, these men are, these are so, they're so conditioned. Then I just, I looked at myself and looked at all my friends, we're, we've, we're just as attached to our blue jeans and headbands and long hair and, you know, dude. We didn't say dude back then, we said, hey man. You know, we're, we're so used, we're, we're attached to that type of thing in as much as they're attached to their Wall Street and banking and insurances and all their material uh, business type things. What's the difference between my attachment and their attachment? I'm just attached to something different. And so that this is all nations. This this is the false identification. I identify myself as a hippie. They identify themselves as a business person. It's all false identification. Because I'm not the material body. I'm the soul inside. We say my hand. We say my nose. We say my ear. They say my mind. We say my intelligence. So who is the mind that owns it? It's mine. So who am I? Just like when I was a teacher, the kids were... I would give them a problem and say, Mara, what's the answer? I said, no, use your intelligence, figure it out. Your intelligence, it's not, the, you know, who is the intelligence? It belongs to the soul. Huh? It belongs to the soul. It's my intelligence. It belongs, everything is, is possessed by the soul. So we are the soul inside the body. So in material existence, one is subjected to the influence of the mind and senses. And material energy, 
And it, again, it goes back to those three modes of nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. I've been talking about this lately because I've been lecturing practically every day, several times a day for the last month when I was down in, South, um, in, Tech, in, in Houston and stuff. The three modes of nature, goodness, passion, ignorance, are like the three primary colors. And when you mix them together in a particular way, you get a particular, you know, get a, you get a, a... Color. Yeah, but it's, I mean, if you take three times three, you get nine. Nine times nine, you get 81. I'm not going to show off and tell you I can do 81 times 81. I mean, I could probably do it, take me a few minutes, but in the same way, we'd have to go with that one times itself. So there's like practically an unlimited number of different color shades you could come up with. So what happens is that we're each and every one of us individuals in this room is of a particular mode of nature. And we're seeing life through that color lens. And that color lens makes us perceive things that we like and things that we dislike. Again, let's just say, for example, music. Someone may like country western music. Someone may like, um, what did I say, baroque music. Some may like headbanging music. Some may like rock and roll music. That's just, that's just the, the effect of that particular color that we're seeing through. As a spirit soul, we're seeing through that color, and therefore we think that that's what we like. But it's just, the, it's just the lens that we're seeing through. And when we remove the lens, that's the process of getting rid of the neshness, gaining knowledge, and getting rid of the lens of material existence, so that we can see ourselves as we actually are. In fact, the spirit, the the pure soul is entangled in the material world because the mind is involved with false ego which desires to lord it over material nature. So false ego is a very interesting thing. Um, anybody go to college? Remember that first psychology class, the id? Did they still teach that in college? The id, identity and stuff like that. And so we have, the, we have a true identity. That's the soul. Now the false ego, false identity is an American... I'm 67 years old with white hair. I'm a Hare Krishna. I live, I'm in doubt. I mean, all these things are false identifications that I placed upon myself or identified myself as, where in actuality I'm just a soul inside this body. And so because, um, as, the, as the commentary here is saying, that the pure soul is entangled in the material world because the mind is involved with the false ego which desires to lord it over material nature. So that false identification that I have in myself as being, like, say, American. I've been to, like, 40 countries or whatever it is, and I'm, wherever I'm at, I think I'm an American. It doesn't matter if I'm in Costa Rica or South Salvador or Mexico or, you know, I've been through, all through Latin America, all through Asia, all through Europe. Whenever I'm there, it's just, I'm an American. But I'm in Germany. I'm American. In fact, one of my friends said, when you go to Europe, don't look like an American anymore because people think Americans are not, not that good anymore for some reason. And so the idea is um, we misidentify ourselves as being something that we're not. And then what happens is that under that spell of false ego, we try to lord it over that which we can control because the nature is to enjoy and to control and to own in this material world. That's the nature of the false identity. Krishna is the <coughs> God is the act. When we say Krishna, just the name of God, that means all attractive. Krishna is the all attractive form of God. And so everything is actually owned and enjoyed and, and controlled by the Supreme Lord. We don't have that built. We can control a little tiny bit. It's like I can control my little tiny environment to a certain degree, not fully, but to a certain degree. 
And due to false ego, we want to control material nature more and more. And so the desire to lord it over material nature comes from the false identification. I, li I was listening to a lecture that was given by the founder of our society. When I think when I was when I was back here back in December and early January, and he said, "You take a look at the Earth's planet. I think we have seven continents, right? Seven continents on the Earth." And he said, "You take a look at it. It's just it's just Earth and water, but then human beings put lines on the Earth." and say, this part belongs to me, this part belongs to you, this part belongs to you, you're my enemy, you're my friend, you agree with my, at least enough of my, you know, way of managing the, my, my tract of land, then okay, you're my friend, you don't agree with the way I manage my, therefore you're my enemy. So you have all these friends and enemies created by false identification of a particular tract of land. It doesn't even belong to us. It actually belongs to God. It belongs to the Supreme Lord. Again, therefore, the mind should be trained so that it will not be at attracted by the glitter of material nature, and in this way, the conditioned soul may be saved. And so, if we can train ourselves to not identify with ourselves as matter, and that that those sense things that we experience in this material world as being sources of pleasure, because when you actually identify that which we come to in a material sense binds us from further in the material world. If we become attached to something in this world, then we're going to think of that at the time of death, and at our thoughts at the time of death take us to the next life. Um, we, in the Kali Krishna movement, we haven't touched on this yet, but we, we, have the, we accept the theory of reincarnation, that we transmigrate from one body to the next. I've already done that. I figured it out the other day. I divided seven into nine, or 67. Every seven years you have new cells. So I'm 67 years old, so I think I'm on 9.4 bodies. I've had 9.4 bodies already. Even if I took a little picture of me when I was like six years old and had it on the wall or a big picture over there, and I asked you, who's that? And you'd look over there and say, I have no idea who that is. You know? Even though the person that's, that it is is sitting right here. That body is completely gone. Komaram, yobanam, from childhood to youth to old age, the body is changing, but we remain the same person. So we're already reincarnating so many times in this lifetime. And so we become attached to the glitter of the material world, so we need to be trained so that we can be, be saved from conditioned life and actually have a free life, a free life in relationship with the Supreme Lord. It's described here, one should not degrade oneself by attraction for sense objects. The more one is attracted by sense object, the more one becomes entangled in material existence. This is described in the fifth chapter of this book where it says, that a, a person that has a little bit of intelligence does not engage the senses in the sense objects, knowing them to be sources of what the Lord said is misery. Misery, misery in the sense because we don't see when we when we contact our senses with something that is favorable to our mode of nature again to our lens we think we're experiencing some pleasure but because we experience that pleasure we think oh this is fun this is nice this is good and we become attached to that and it carries us again into the material world into another material body where we have to be again confined to a particular set of, uh, amount of time when we're actually eternal. We're not meant to be confined by, by, by time. We're not meant to be confined by this material energy like that. So the more one is attached to material sense objects, the more he, he continues his material existence. 
The best way to disentangle oneself is to always engage the mind in Krishna consciousness or God consciousness. The consciousness of that I am an eternal servant of God. We were explaining this the other day to a group of children, uh, teenage children, um, the ones that can think are, you know, they're not little tiny kids, but teenage children. And I said, if you take a look, everyone in this, in, 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 of us is a servant of something. A serves B, B serves C, C serves D. The husband serves the wife, the wife serves the husband. We serve our job, we serve our community, we serve this, we serve that. We do, we're always serving so many things. I always try to make a joke when back in the in the sixties we weren't gonna serve anything, especially the government. We weren't gonna we weren't gonna all the kids that didn't want to go to the army. Not all, I'd say about ninety percent of us. And um, and so but we still we we're, no, we're not gonna do anything. But we still when the body became thirsty we had to serve it. When the body became hungry we had to feed it. When we when the call of nature came, we didn't have a choice, we had to go. You know, we we had to serve something. We're always serving something. And so the, the idea is, is that the best way to disentangle oneself from the, from the, is to engage the mind in our natural nature, our nature of service, but serving the Supreme Lord rather than just serving the senses. I have some friends that were in a, like, what, like, what do you call going away in shelter? Those headbanger or punk rock or... Straight edge, hardcore punk bands. And one of them wrote a song that says, because sometimes people have the impression that people are who are of a religious uh, nature or religious, what would you say, practices, they're slaves to their religious traditions. In other words, they have to follow the rules and regulations of that particular religion and therefore they're not free. But the song was, I see you, I see you, I see you, that you're addicted. Don't tell me, don't tell me you're not a slave. Because I see that you're addicted to your senses. Your senses are forcing you, are dictating to you what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. You don't have any free choice. But if you engage in spiritual life and practice the regulated principles of a freedom, they free the heart, just like the regulations that are in scriptures are like the regulations for driving. If there were no rules and regulations for driving in Dallas, just imagine what it would be like. If people could drive on the sidewalk, the people could drive on the left side or the right side, stop at the green or the, or the, or the red. They could just, eh, I feel like red should be go today. I think green should be stopped. You, know, you slam on your brakes at the green light. Guy behind you smashes into you. The rules and regulations on the road are meant to make it to give you the freedom to drive. In the same way, religious principles are there to give us the freedom to express ourselves as individual souls that aren't connected to this material body in any way, sense, or form. It's, it's a total illusion to, to identify with this material body. So that, so that it's described here that for, for, for us, mind is the cause of bondage and mind is the cause of liberation. Mind absorbed in sense objects is the cause of bondage and mind detached from these sense objects is the cause of liberation. Therefore, the mind which is always engaged in God consciousness is the cause of supreme liberation. So this is the idea. We just transfer transfer that which we normally do into service to God. And that is the beginning, which is called karma yoga. Karma, again, meaning activity. Yoga, again, meaning connecting our activities to the service of God and finding a, an, and finding a sense of freedom in that action. Whereas when we're engaged in the senses, we are literally, we're literally slaves to God's activities. So that was 45 minutes.
little brief introduction, a little tiny introduction to how we started, and then just a little bit of the philosophy according to understand that we're not this material body and the, and the mind is the is the root cause of our desire. We have to learn to control the mind. We have to strengthen our spiritual intelligence, learning what is right and what is wrong through guidance, and then acting on that principle. And as we act upon that principle, we actually find a sense of happiness in this material realm. We have temporary happiness on a te temporary level. We were discussing this with some of the young, some of those teenagers. I asked them, we are always hankering or lamenting in this world. So it's just like we want something. So it's, it's like, again, the sense object. The mind wants something. Just like right now, I think I need a car that has those. My car is so old that it doesn't even have a backup camera, right? If I had a backup camera, he wouldn't have smashed into the parking lot with it the other day. And I wouldn't have smashed into the guy next to me when I was driving. I just bumped the back of his bumper. Um, and so the idea is like, I think oh, I, need, I need one of those cars that when you when when you're when you're turning right or there's a car next to you it says warning warning you're in a car or something. So my desire is to have that. So say for example, I get that. Say for example, I have a des I'm use I'm using myself as an example. I think I need a car that, that has more intelligence than me, which wouldn't be very hard at this point at 67 when you're driving down the road. <laughs> it's a real challenge, right? And so the idea is, say for example, I get that car, and then I'm happy for it, I'm really happy, but then it doesn't work, the, the, the indicator doesn't work, and then I, and I smash into somebody, and my brand new car has a dent, then I, just, then I lament, right? Or the car wears out, or it gets old, and then I have to get, I think, oh no, now I need another one. You know, so you may have a little bit of excitement in the beginning, but then the ultimate thing is, is you're, you're, you're lamenting. Or if you don't get, say for example, I don't get the car, and I think, oh man, why didn't I get the car? So either way, it's oh man, oh man, my car, you know, my, my car misfunctioned, or my car wore out, or I didn't get the car. So either way, it all ends up on that level. So the whole point is, is to, I mean, it's okay to have a car for Krishna. You can use the car in Krishna's service. You can have clothes. You can have a job. You can have a family. You can have a house. We just utilize everything in the service of God. Just like Anichananda Chandra, who opens his house to the Darshan program, his house is dedicated to serving God. And therefore, there's no problem having a house. Otherwise, if the house not dedicated to the servant of God, it's like, there's a, there's a very, it's like the, the, the mouse, or the, the, the little mouse guy, he digs a little hole in the ground. I don't know if it's mice or what do they call those things, moles or whatever. They dig a little hole in the ground and they're living there. And then a snake comes and he, he moves in and eats the family and he just lives very comfortably. So that's what described the home that the home that has no God consciousness is like a home that's just a snake home. Poisonous. It's poisonous. It takes us away from our spiritual level, spiritual understanding. So any questions? Any comments? What was that thing that you said about all material things? Being owned, controlled, and enjoyed. enjoyed. Okay, that was really nice. Yeah, Thank everything's you. owned and controlled, and yeah. meant. Everything's actually meant for the pleasure of the Supreme Lord. Even we're meant for the pleasure of the Supreme Lord. We're not meant to. See, the thing is, it's just like. There's two examples that are given in the scripture. One is, is that 
All the parts of the body work for the stomach. Right? You know, the hands work, the legs work, you know, I go to work to get money to, to, you know, to, serve, to serve the stomach. Because if I serve the stomach, my body and everything is going to be working just fine. And so the Krishna is, is the men one to enjoy. Or the same way the, the other example is given, you water the root of the tree, right? You don't try to water, you know, imagine you see somebody out here, you know, watering all the leaves and branches and twigs on a tree, and you go, hey dude, what you doing? I'm watering the tree. Why don't you just water the root? Dude, man, I want to, you, know, you You can't invent your own way to water the tree. I mean, you can hose it down and clean it off. That's nice once in a while, but the, 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 the Sanskrit word for tree is angrapa. That which it eats to its feet. The word literally means those living entities who eat through their feet. And so those things which have roots eat through their feet. Angriba. It's kind of a cool word, isn't it? Yeah, it even sounds cool. Angriba. It even sounds like hungry pa. <laughs> the paws are hungry, right? <laughs> and so. <clears throat> So the idea, so the idea is, is, is like, is like Krishna is meant to be the enjoyer, and and once once Krishna is happy, just like once the root is satisfied, the whole tree flourishes. So we're parts of that tree. My my lung, so jiva, loka jiva, bhutasana, we're all eternal parts and parcels of Krishna, and we we have these, we have these six senses, the five senses, which are grouped about the mind, the sixth sense again. And so, when Krishna is happy, that when, when we serve God, then we become happy. When the part serves the whole, the whole beat, beat the part being part of the whole, if I said that properly, then the, the whole can function, and then the part becomes happy too. It's like the parts of the tree become happy when the root is, is, is served. So in the same way, the root cause of all existence is the Supreme Lord, and we're His parts and parcels. And because we're part and parcel of the, of the Lord, we're like the leaves and branches and twigs. When the, when the root is served, we become very happy. We become very satisfied in that atmosphere. If, if we try to go outside that, there's no way you can come happy. Enjoyer, the controller, and the owner. Something else? Yeah, this is... Uh, it's First of all, thank you for coming. Yeah, it's <laughs> so always a pleasure. I've never been here before, and I traveled here with some friends, and we stopped over across the street for some food. There you go. We heard about, and they were like, "No, come over here for this first. And so that's how that's how we got here. And we've been in the van for like six days now. Um, You've been in the van for six days. Been in the van for six days. We left Sedona like last week, but we all we just met like in a really cool way. Okay. And so we're here, but these these teachings right now really re remind and reinforce some things that I've learned, um, especially about like fulfilling yourself. Um, uh, is so key to like personal enjoyment is so natural and healthy, and we often create our own suffering more than we actually are in suffering. And um, it's just yeah, that really reinforces that like you know the whole concept of oh I need to heal the world or I need to change the world, but it's got to begin with me. For me personally, like I, I never knew how much I deprived myself of things that um, make other made other people happy, or you know, just made me happy. You know, just giving yourself permission to receive from yourself 
in a, in a way that's devoted to God, in a way that's not running from yourself. You, know? yeah. you can pleasure yourself by seeking and also doing things your own way, you know what I mean? And that we, we give each other freedom in that. You know, what makes, what's pleasurable to me may be disgusting for somebody else, yes. as long as it's in service and in faith and in devotion. Like, that's how, that's how I've witnessed people expand and that's how I've watched myself expand by like, fulfill yourself, give it to yourself, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we're so quick. Just to make sure, make sure, oh, make, make sure it's the self, not the mind and the body. Yes. Make sure it's the true self, because some, because if we misidentify ourselves to be something that we're not, the tendency is, is that we won't get it right. If we're misidentifying ourselves to be the body, we're misidentifying ourselves to be the mind, and not learning that, and not going through the training process to decipher between those two things. It's very difficult to know. And it takes, it, 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 but it's it's a fact. What what one man one man what if generic one one man what if what I say gender neutral one man's food is another man's poison one person's food is another person's poison I guess is a proper way to say it. Yeah. You know, and so, but everything can be utilized in the service of God. But don't be a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> You can't, in other words, we can't do something frivolous and say, well, I'm doing it for God. I'm, I'm a drug dealer, but I'm doing it for God. I'm a, I'm a bank robber, but I'm doing it for God. You know, I'm an abuser, but I'm abusing for God. You know, yeah, logic, you know, we have to, we have to, it's a there have, we have to be on the playing field, isn't it? We really have to be on the playing field. We want to play the game of spirituality. Then there's a playing field. So be in the mode of goodness. Yeah, have to be in the yeah, very good. Have to be in the mode of goodness. Mode of passion and ignorance. Very difficult to, to focus on spiritual topics. What's the best way you found to align the like your pure soul self to your body, to your physical body, right? So I I understand I'm pure soul, right? But then I also understand that there's Pujan. Okay, well Pujan does a lot of things that. There's also Pooja, me. Uh, my name is Pooja. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, my physical body's name is Pooja, but yeah. you know, I'm pure soul. So often I find myself like, man, that was pure soul didn't accept that, but Pooja over here is like, did it anyway. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, the devil made you do it. Back in the seventies, we had to show the devil made you do it. Well, I can't. I mean, I don't want to justify you know, the enemy at all. I, I'd rather right. you know try to salt, resolve for that. Yeah, so yeah. How do you resolve for any? And then, from a karmic level, you know, what if it's something that is karmically bound that Pujan has to endure or do because of something else that's happened in a past life or whatever? Right. Basically, this body is a machine of <clears throat> reactions to our previous acts. It's a machine built specifically to, um, how do you say this? whatever action we perform in our last lifetime, we have a reaction for that. And this is a custom-made machine to receive all the reactions to our previous activities. If you build a hospital, you'll be healthy in your next life. If you, and not, you know, and just given it as a, maybe a hypothetical example, you build a, you build a school, in your next lifetime you'll have, you'll have education will be good for you. If you kill somebody in your next lifetime, you'll be, if you rob somebody in your next lifetime, you'll be robbed, right? And so these things are part of our karmic reaction, which you're talking about, puja gets this and puja gets that. And so basically what we have in this lifetime 
because there's predestination, that which we are predestined to get, but there's also free will. These things are consolidated together in the philosophy of Krishna consciousness because we have a certain predestined karma due to our previous actions, a reaction to our previous actions. And that we can't change. A certain amount of beauty, a certain amount of strength, a certain amount of knowledge, or intelligence, a certain amount of wealth, a certain amount of health, all these kind of things are kind of pre-given due to our previous actions. What we have to do now is how we respond to those reactions that we're going to experience in this lifetime. Are we going to accept them as lessons given to us by God and accept them with gratitude and try to move forward and try to learn from them and try to keep going, going and going? Or are we just going to resist and try to fight it out on a material level? Because the problem is not actually material, the problem is spiritual. We try to make all the solutions in this material world on a, on, in a material way. But the problem isn't material, the problem is lack of spirituality. And so if we can just spiritualize our activities, then they become, they become okay. And that's called karma yoga. In other words, doing one's action, karma kriyate, doing one's activities in connection to, to God, then that leads to the, the heart softening, the heart softening and being able to learn to love God. That has to go through. But I think you want a little... I, I mean, I, I, I understand yes. kind of what, you're, what you're saying. And so when you say karma yoga, from my understanding, yoga is an experience of you connecting with God, correct? Yes. So karma meaning you resolving scientific circumstantial evidences of life with God, and you're resolving them how? Yeah. So in other words, karma, karma yoga basically means doing our actions in our normal human actions, eating, sleeping, mating, defending, yet kadoshi, jadasnasi, jatahosi, whatever we do, whatever we give away, whatever austerities we perform, whatever we eat, do that as an act of love for God. But it must be situated on the playing field. We must know what the spiritual playing field is. And as the lady that had to leave a little early says, that we situate ourselves in the mode of goodness. We eat in the mode of goodness. We work in the mode of goodness. We, we, we do everything in that mode because from the mode of goodness one has the ability to understand higher spiritual principles. In the mode of passion we're just so agitated we can't, in the mode of ignorance we're just so dull we can't even figure out what's going on. Especially spiritual things. They're just not capable for those in the mode of ignorance or passion. So we situate ourselves and then just like what, whatever occupation one has he utilizes that occupation in the service of God. Just like, for example, you, everybody needs food, clothing, shelter, so you have to work in order to get that. So work must be performed as sacrifice to the Supreme Lord, otherwise we're, we're, we're thieves. Because everything here belongs to Krishna. Everything here belongs to the Supreme Lord. We're allotted a certain punjetakasasviddhanam, we're allotted a certain amount of quota according to our previous actions, which we are allowed to utilize in this lifetime. And if we utilize them, utilize that quota in the service of God, then we free ourselves. We free ourselves from the karmic bondage. But if we only utilize it for our own sense pleasure, then we don't. Then, then we just create more more reactions to our to, for our next life. So the way we free ourselves is doing our activities. So what happens is karma yoga. When one does that. We restrict our natural propensities to enjoy our own sense gratification and, in, and instead of doing that, our, that sensual activity for ourselves, 
we use those same senses in the service of God, we get a higher taste. We may feel a little, you know, we may not be fully detached from that, but we give it up and then we, utilize, we use those same things in the service of God, we get a higher taste. And as we get a higher taste, that evolves the heart and the heart becomes soft again. And when the heart becomes soft, it has the ability to learn the art of loving God. Or we don't just do it, you know, we don't just adjust something from what I like to, and, and spiritualize it. We actually get to the point where I want to just do whatever God wants. Next. That, that could come from a place of desire or frustration. Yeah, it could come from a point of desire or frustration. Yeah, you, the material world has a unique way of humbling us. There's a nice verse, Trinata peace in each and peace to each in Armani and Armanade and The ones who chant the holy names of God in a humble state of mind, more talented than the tree, willing to give all honor to everyone and not want any respect for himself. And in that way, one can chant the names of God continuously. He'll be if his mind will be one's mind will be so um, clear that they can continuously think and, 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 and glorify God so that humbleness of heart usually begins with humiliation <laughs> of heart which, which, which may be starting with embarrassment I, I send out a little yeah, uh, that little, feels good yeah I send out a little a little two minute ditty every day a little inspirational thing for to encourage people to chant, chant the holy names and I, and, and I said the material world has a really good way of humbling us huh? and in Barry you know we, we're humbled you know, we, we're, it's, it's a humbling experience in this world we find ourselves so many times doing that which we shouldn't do so hopefully we learn by the, by the school of hard knocks but we can connect that, that we connect that and it, and, it, and it manifests. See what happens is that by doing that, we get a taste for that activity of serving God, and then that manifests and grows within the heart. Right on this one. Yeah, please. I have two questions. Sure. Um, I'm actually reading a book um, related to the works of Ramana Maharshi. Okay. And the concepts in here that dis the discipline that he teaches, which is non-duality, okay. is nearly identical to what you're discussing in Krishna. It talks about, you know, liberation and karma and everything, but um, if you're familiar with non-duality or Advita, Advita, then Vedanta, Advita. is that a part of Krishna, or is this a concept in Krishna? It's a concept in Krishna, because Advaita, Advaita body or Advaita, Advaita, is it Advaita Vedanta, yeah, Advaita Vedanta. See, the, that's one aspect of God, Advaita, non-dual. So it's like the example that's given in the scriptures is that there's different paths that one can go and there's different types of paths one takes based on the faith the faith base that they are given at, in this life. But that can grow, right? And so the Advaita is like, there's three, we'll use the sun as an example. The sun, you have sunshine, you have the sun's surface, and you have the inner activities of the sun. And so the sunshine is like the Advaita, the oneness, the stillness, the, it's like totally impersonal. And then you have the sun's surface, which is like the localized aspect of God in the heart. 
and then you have the inner acti- action activities of the of the of the sun planet, and that's like understanding the supreme personality of Godhead. So the idea of the Advaita Vedanta is that what happens is that in the material world, because we have so many personal interact, I say inter, interactions amongst ourselves as persons, and we see that these interactions most of the time. Uh, end in some type of distress. Even if everything goes really nice, we have to separate at the time of death, and so the heart feels sad. And so every single personal relationship we have ends that way. So in order to understand, so for someone on that level to understand God, it has to be impersonal because every personal experience I've had has been in disappointment, and I don't want to have a disappointment in my relationship with God. So that's the beginning. That's like seeing the sunshine. So when you see the when you see the sun glow, you can understand that I'm within the heart, the soul resides within the heart, and the, and the supreme Lord also resides within the heart. And through the process of meditation, one can go within um, yama, niyama, asana. These things are there. Where you come, you come pratyahara, then you become dhyana, or you get into meditation. And one can actually experience one's individual soul within himself. Sometimes they confuse the individual soul with the supreme soul, and so there's a, there's a, there's a process of knowledge which separates those two out, so that one can see that they're actually part and parcel of that supreme soul that resides within the heart. And then you go further, and then we understand the personality of Godhead within the inner workings of the of the of the inner part of the sun. The example I give again is it's like the energy and the energetic, and, and if I if I have personality, that which I and I you know everyone in this room has personality. Everyone in this room has activity, so that which I come from must also have that. Otherwise, how do I have that? And so to just stop it at the impersonal dwaita, I mean dwaita, you know, that 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 oneness. That is that is a process where people that are that they they want to rid themselves of all these kind of things in the material world, and it is a bona fide process of of, of, of practice, but it only gives one a preliminary understanding. It's just a sunshine. But if we the relationships that the individual souls have on a personal level with the Supreme Lord, no, have no in, in, in a there, there, there's no there's no confusion. It just take it just takes time to work on those things. Yeah. Um, this weekend I'll be in New York City. Cool. Specifically for the purpose of like pleasuring the senses. Okay. Um, you want some addresses? And, uh, I have lots of friends and, there. And, and liberation, <laughs> but in the old way of knowing what liberation is. But how can I approach my trip? on a more spiritual level. I'll give you some names of my friends that live there, and, and they'll give you some nice vegetarian meals, and they'll sit and talk philosophy of Krishna, and a few things. We have a wonderful program there. Mm-hmm. The person in charge, I, he was my student when he was 10. I had him until he was about 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. Wonderful young man, just had a, a baby last September 24th, my birthday, and he didn't name him after me, so he's in trouble. He's out of the will. Fair <laughs> budget around. <laughs> and a little boy. But they already had a name picked up. This happened to take birth on my birthday. But you can go to New York, and um, you can do what you want to do, but try to see Krishna within everything. 
because Krishna is within everything and he's outside everything. God, is, there's, there's no place that God's not present. And if you take a look and you keep yourself in goodness, you know, no intoxication, no, no, just, just to stay clean, to stay totally clean, go, go to bed early, get up early, absorb the atmosphere, see the passions, see the passionate nature of, of, the, of the city, and see how people are under the influence of that passion and how that's you know, dragging them and forcing them to do certain activities and see how you're feeling aloof from that. There's a way to do that. It's, it's, it's just knowing the situation and acting on, and, and observing and seeing where can, I find this, where can I find the Lord in this place and go to the donut plant. <laughs> it's a hard, it's a whole Hare Krishna guy, and he makes the best donuts in the whole world. It's called the Donut Plant, and they they have some kind of TV show where chefs, like world class chefs, challenge restaurants that we can make a better donut than you can make, and he beat the the he won some competition. They're, they're voted best donuts in New York City. That's, best donuts that's in New a York big City. Thing. Actually, bring your credit card because they're expensive too. <laughs> <laughs> the Bhakti Center has a Divya's Kitchen. Yeah, yeah, Divya's oh, Kitchen. That's also one of the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Divya's Kitchen is an Ayurvedic vegetarian kitchen based all, totally on the mode of goodness foodstuffs to elevate our eating. So if we eat things that are in the mode of goodness, we become good. Our hearts and our consciousness become good. If we eat, if we eat animal products and stuff, they're more ignorance. They, they draw us down. We eat pungent and spicy things. They, they, they're very passionate, and and, and even veg, some vegetables like onions, garlic, mushrooms, things like that. They're of lower nature, and they lower our nature. You'll find that strict Buddhist restaurants they won't even serve those things because it interrupts their meditative process. You want to, you, it's actually a science to this whole thing. It's not just a religious faith. There's actually a spiritual science behind this whole process. And so what I can do is I can give you a, I can give you a phone number before you leave of Virabhadra Ram and I'll tell him that you're going to call. Hopefully he's, he's in town. Or my other friend, and you're going to like his name. His name is Mud. <laughs> his name is actually Mud Vachari. We just call him Mud. Okay. And... Um, he runs. He runs a food. He runs a food for life, like a free food program at Tompkins Square Park, and you can go. You can actually go to the place where the first Hare Krishna temple ever was, on Twenty Six Second Avenue, and you can go to the very first tree that the founder of our society went and chanted Hare Krishna underneath in 1966. The first time anyone ever chanted Hare Krishna in public was underneath this tree, and there's a plaque there now. The, the International Society of Krishna Consciousness was this is the first place it happened. You can visit them. We can keep you yeah. fully engaged. <laughs> in a totally different way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think you'll like it. You'll like these people. And it's not that you have to hang out with them all the time, but you just visit, you know, just stop in and say hi. Yeah. And just tell me, you know, R.T. Swami, R.T. Swami, you'll give you the, you get a gold pass or whatever they call platinum pass. <laughs> He's my student, even though he didn't name his kid after me. That's not a point. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for coming. Thank you. I appreciate your coming. I hope hopefully we can um, um, get you under Chandra. You have you have the um, address for the Bhakti Center. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we'll give you the address for the Bhakti Center, and I'll give you some. I'll give you some names. No, I'm not. And don't don't be don't be shy don't be shy to text them.